Thanks, Laura. Good morning, everyone. I'm Jeff. Great to be with you this morning. We're going to be in Romans chapters 11 and 12. And the title of the message today is Don't Just Pretend to Love, which comes from a verse in Romans chapter 12. It says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them which sounds a little bit like wishful thinking. It's a little bit like, you know, if you're anxious, someone saying to you, don't be anxious, and pow, oh, thanks thanks for that. That's all I needed, just to be told not to be anxious, and poof, the anxiety is gone. Don't just pretend to love others. Oh, okay, really love them. Oh, okay, that's all I have to do. All right, it's not, it's not quite that simple in Romans chapter 12, and that's what we're going to get into this morning to find some help and some hope in how we can not just pretend, but really love others. And we have a chance to practice it over lunch, over a barbecue lunch today, which will be great. Uh, but first, I want to touch on a couple of big questions that will probably come up for you as you read this week, if they haven't already come up in previous weeks. And uh, I just want to, want to touch on those and try and give you a few thoughts to help as you prepare to read and journal and discuss this week. They're in chapter 11, but we're going to spend most of our time then after that in chapter 12, which is the practical stuff. So let's start in Romans 11 in verse 5. Paul says, It's the same today for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So the Apostle Paul, writing this letter to the church in Rome, the letter to the Romans, he says the same thing here that he's been saying the whole way through in all of the chapters so far. Our restored relationship with God is a free gift that comes to us. It is not deserved and it's not earned. It's not earned by being born into the right family, in the right era, in the right place. It's not earned by doing the right things. You can't earn it by doing what you think is right or what you think God thinks is right. A restored relationship with God is a free and undeserved gift, and it comes to us through Jesus Christ and our trust, our faith in him, that only he can make it possible for that relationship to be okay again. But that passage there that's on the screen and the one that we're about to read together raises a question that you should have this week. Do we choose God or does God choose us? So the next verse, verse 7 of Romans 11, he says, So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they're looking for so earnestly. A few have the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. So is our faith in Jesus, the faith that we have, is that up to us, to our calling on God, to our believing in him, to our trusting him? Is it up to us or does God choose us? Does God either soften or harden our hearts based entirely on his will and his decision? Well, He's God, he's eternal, he's outside of time. So he definitely knows in advance what each of us are going to do. But does he choose and determine in advance whether each person, you or I and everyone else in the world throughout history, whether we will respond to him or not? Now there's 
a whole conversation about this that's been happening right throughout human history and especially since Paul wrote these words in his letter to the Romans about predestination, God predestining, and about our free will, us being free to choose God or not. Does God choose us or do we choose God? Does God choose in advance or does he simply know in advance what, he will, what we will do and so he acts accordingly? Does everyone have an opportunity to respond to God or does he open some hearts and close other hearts? And, and so like in free will, where is God's sovereignty and, and God's power then? And in predestination, where is God's love in all of that and where is our freedom and our choice in all of that? So probably as you've been reading, those questions have already come up for you in Romans. And if not now, they may have at a previous time in your life. And and if not, you know, surprise, here's a big question for you to consider. And there are good points of view on either side. And there are different verses and passages of scripture that seem to speak one way or the other. And so there are good points of view. And there are also problems when we go to the extremes on either side. And I can't solve it for you today. I'm not even going to try and resolve that tension for you today. But I just want to share three things that will help shape your thinking and your reading and your discussing this week as you read Romans 11. So the first one is, remember that this section is written to help Jews and Gentiles in the first century get along with each other. That's why Paul wrote this letter. He's writing inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he's writing to particular people, flesh and blood people that lived in a physical geographical place at a point in human history. And he's writing to help them understand each other and appreciate each other so that they can live together in unity. And what he writes to them is so valuable to us. It's also so important to us and the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write can also speak to us and help us understand and apply this to our lives But we can't just take a verse that Paul wrote there and just apply it today without discernment, without thinking it through and understanding it and asking for the Holy Spirit's help in that discernment. So Paul is mainly writing to help Jews with their history of faith get along with Gentiles who don't have the same history of faith. So the next point is, If we're trying to understand big questions about God and faith, we shouldn't ever take just one verse or just one passage or even just one letter or book. Because if you take little bits of just Paul's writing, let alone other people in the New Testament, you can get arguments for either side of this big dilemma. And they seem to contradict each other. But we need to take everything that we have in the Bible. It's such a gift. And most importantly... We have to take Jesus. You know, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the record of Jesus' life and teaching and everything that he did, take that as our primary lens then for understanding all of the other stuff and understanding the big questions about life. Jesus is the full expression of God in human form. He's our best way to understand God's character and God's nature. And the third thing, the most important reason Paul is writing this is so that you and I and Jews and Gentiles in those days wouldn't feel proud about ourselves. So he writes in verse 25, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, 
so that you will feel proud that you finally understand it. No, that's, that's not what it says on the screen. I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Well, that's, that's not generally what happens to me. When I finally understand a mystery, oh, then, then, then I can really feel proud about myself and look down on those who don't yet understand the mystery. But he says, no, I want you to understand it so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. It is a mystery, but there is wisdom and understanding to be had here. But the most important thing, whether we choose God or God chooses us, we should not feel proud or better than others. Now, the second massive ginormous question that I will not answer for you today is what about Israel today? What about the people and the nation of Israel today in 2023? Are the people of Israel, like they were in the Old Testament and and in Paul's writing, are they still God's chosen people today? Like, does God look down on the earth and he sees the nation state of Israel and still values it in the same way that he did throughout the pages and the years of the Old Testament? Or or what about the church? Like, is the church today, followers of Jesus in every generation, have they replaced Israel as God's chosen people? Now, that question may have come up already. 9, 10, 11 of Romans, those three chapters are all about that question, and it will definitely come up this week as you read. But once again, I just want to share a few thoughts that I hope will be helpful for you as you think about and read and discuss this week. So first of all, once again, remember, this section was written not to you. This section was written to Jews and Gentiles to help them get along in the first century. It's inspired by God, but don't just pull a verse out of its context and apply it to your life and our world today. Do that, but as you do it, discern and understand what it meant then to them and what it can mean to us today. And if we take anything from Paul's writing about Israel and the Jewish people and God, it must be at least that the Jews are equally valued and loved. And that might sound like the most obvious statement in the world to you today, but for Christians throughout history, there have been some wild fluctuations in what Christians representing Jesus have thought about and done towards Jewish people. You know, some of our beloved reformers of the 15th century, Martin Luther and John Calvin, were horrifically anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic. Not just in what they believed, but in what they said should happen, that we should just kill them, are some of the things that we find our beloved reformers saying about Jewish people. And, And even in the early church, Gentiles blamed the Jews for the death of Jesus, even though it's quite obvious if you take a step outside of culture to see that God intended for Jesus to die and also it was at the hands of the Romans. But throughout history, what might seem obvious to you has not been obvious to Christians or to the church. So if we take anything from this passage, at the very least, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people should be equally loved and valued by us because they are by God. And number three, There are many things in life and in faith and in the Bible as well that are not problems to solve or tricky things to figure out 100% either way. Many of them are mysteries that we have to hold in tension. 
So Paul finishes chapter 11 with these words. He says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? You know, there are a bunch of things that are very clear from the pages of Scripture and things that we should, as Christians, hold with certainty. We've talked about them recently in our messages. But there's also other things where it's okay for them to remain a mystery. It's okay for us to not resolve the tension between those things. It's okay for Christians to reach different conclusions around things like predestination and free will and the nation of Israel and the people of Israel today. God is bigger and better than we sometimes think when it comes to complicated mysteries. So that's the difficult stuff out of the way. Now, at the end of chapter 11, Paul makes like a, a, an about turn from talking about how we, how we think about God and how we think about each other to talking about how we behave towards God and how we behave towards each other. Like it's, it's been there in the earlier chapters, absolutely. But he's been laying the groundwork now for some very, very super practical, nitty gritty stuff here in chapter 12 and in the later chapters. So I want to move through four things that Paul says of how we should live as followers of Jesus. Based on everything he's already said, here are four ways that if we're Christians, if we want to follow Jesus, this is how we should live. And the first thing is he writes that we should worship God with everything. In verse 1 of Romans 12, he says, And so, and so, and so, because of everything I've written in these 11 chapters, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You have a part to play in your life. You aren't a pawn in God's game of chess. You aren't a puppet on God's stage. You can choose, because Paul urges you to choose, to offer and give your body to God as a living and holy sacrifice. In response to what he's done, that's good and right. And that is, is actually, truly, the way to worship God. And, and Paul even says that this is the kind of sacrifice, the kind of life that God will find acceptable. It's not the kind of life that God will find acceptable and so you earn your way to him. It's the kind of life that when you've received his undeserved kindness and you respond with complete worship, that is pleasing and good and acceptable in God's eyes. And we often use worship to describe what happens on a Sunday with the music and, and our singing. And that is worship. And worship is much bigger than that. It's your whole life, your entire body offered freely and willingly as a sacrifice to God. I spoke about this um, about six weeks ago in our series Behind the Music, that worshipping God in this way is a daily decision and sometimes a moment by moment re-surrender, surrendering again to God. Because as, as human beings, we can place our life upon the altar as a sacrifice to God, as a living and holy sacrifice. We can place ourselves there but also as human beings, we can crawl our way off again and say, 
mm, not right now, not today. I've got some other things that I want to do, have some other priorities that I want to achieve. So I'm just going to crawl my way off of that altar and then maybe I'll find my way back then once I've finished doing this other stuff. But the way to worship God is to keep coming back to that place of complete surrender to him. And it's the scariest place to be, but it's also the best place to be with open hands before God saying, I am yours. Whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, whatever you say, unless it's, unless it's to move somewhere that I don't want to move, like Townsville. <laughs> all right, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever you want. And unless... Unless, unless it's to forgive that particular person because of what, what they did, then, then I'm not so sure. Okay, okay, okay. My whole life upon the altar, I want to worship you with my entire body. All right, maybe not that part of my life, but just the other parts. I'm just, you know, the best and scariest place to be is your whole life before God. To say whatever you want, whatever you say, Paul's number one instruction for how to live as a Christian is to worship God with everything. And his second is to have humility and to depend on each other. So in the next verse he says, or in verse three, sorry, he says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Not by other things, but by the faith God has given us. And just as our bodies, our human bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We as the church are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. We belong to each other and we need each other. Now on Tuesday night, our worship leaders got together for a meeting and I joined them. And on behalf of all of you in the room that are completely non-musical, which is me, can't hold a note, can't sing in tune, can't play things. On behalf of all of you, I said to our worship leaders, thank you. Thank you for your ability and your gifts and that you share them with us as a church. Because we couldn't do church in the way that we do and we couldn't worship through music in the way we do without each other. So thank you for taking what you have and sharing it for our benefit. And, and we need to, to not just celebrate the different gifts and different parts of the body, but also to depend and rely on each other. So Tuesday night, while our worship leaders were meeting, a pastor that I know in southeast Queensland sent a message to pastors from, from all over the state, from all over Queensland. I want to read to you part of what he wrote. He said um, to the other pastors, he said, I need your help, please. I need you to pray for our church here. We've come under such an intense season of spiritual attack. I've tried praying myself, my intercessors have, but it's not breaking through. Today alone, this is a Tuesday, I've dealt with relationships breaking down and conflict happening like I've never seen before. We need to lean on each other and depend on each other. And so other people in that group responded with encouragement and with prayer and standing with this pastor because we aren't better than each other. We need each other and we need to depend on each other in good times and in bad. 
So number one, worship God with everything. Number two, have humility, depend on each other. And number three is to realize that when we're serving each other, we're actually doing it with God's help. So verse six, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. If you can identify with with anything on that list on the screen, um, grab it and take hold of it. Hey, that's me. I, I can do those things or I can do that thing or God has given me the gift or the ability to do that. Or if you see that list and you think of someone else, then make a note to encourage or affirm that gift in another person today. But Paul's list here in Romans 12 is not exhaustive. So he hasn't like listed every single gift that God gives here in this short passage. And if you don't have something on the list, too bad. The Christmas presents are out and your name wasn't on any of them. That's not it at all. There's like three major lists in the writing of the New Testament. And and there are some main categories, but, but I even wonder if it's not helpful to think of those as exhaustive. Because anything that we have, everything good comes from God. And so you might neatly fit in a category of a spiritual gift in the New Testament, and you can know for certain that it's a gift of God and he works through you. But it's a great attitude to have to go, hey, anything that I can do, I can, I can build things But the building things isn't in the list. So maybe it's just a a, a natural gift, not a spiritual gift. To think, oh, I can build things. God has enabled me to build things. And so I want to serve others with what God has given me. So whatever gift you have, whatever abilities you have, go for it. Use them to bless the people around you. Let me speak personally for a moment about the second last thing on Paul's list up there. He says, if God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. Leadership has been a difficult journey for me because I recognize that I have some, some natural leadership ability and, and maybe some spiritual gifting as well, but I often don't like using it. I don't like expressing that leadership gift or ability. I don't like making difficult decisions. I don't like doing things that I know will make other people uncomfortable or that they'll disagree with. I don't like disagreeing with people in general, and I don't like having to carry responsibility all the time. But this verse over the years has been really encouraging to me and also really challenging. That if I have leadership ability, I need to take that responsibility seriously. I need to not ignore it or pretend that it doesn't exist. I shouldn't avoid it. I shouldn't run from it. I shouldn't take it lightly. And I shouldn't pretend that it doesn't matter to me or to other people. But I should take it seriously and know that God is with me. That doesn't mean that everything that I do as a leader has God's stamp of approval and that it's right. It just means that God is with me as I try to express that gift. 
And you too, in whatever abilities and gifts you have, should serve each other, knowing that as you do it, it's as if God himself is doing that thing through you. So God doesn't run our kids' ministry by himself. It'd be way better if he did. But instead, he uses us. He uses the volunteers out there to minister to our kids through Lakes Kids. And when you walk in the doors of church, God doesn't shake your hand all by himself. But he'll use the hands and he'll use the hugs and he'll use the kind words of the welcome team and the hospitality teams. And God does not share the gospel with your friends. He could do it way better than you can, but he chooses to use your vocal cords and your mind and your memory and your imagination to share his good news through you. So, Don't compare yourself with other people. You be you with what God has given you, but go for it as if God himself was speaking, teaching, serving, encouraging, giving, leading, and loving through you. So number three, how to live as a Christian is to serve each other with God's help. And now we come to the final point, number four, and the key verse and the title for today's message in verse nine. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. So, so when we read there, don't just pretend. The original Greek word that Paul used when he wrote his letter can also mean things like um, be sincere. So don't be insincere. Don't be unfeigned. And don't be hypocritical. So let your love be without hypocrisy. So Paul urged the church in Rome and also urges us to love each other genuinely from the heart. No faking, no pretending, no insincerity, but with genuine love, really practically love other people. And, and when he says hate what is wrong, he isn't talking about hating wrong ideas or wrong theology. This is his practical section. He doesn't use that language in the original writing. So hate what is wrong doesn't mean to hate someone's ideas or opinions. It's in the same sentence and the same context as don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong when it comes to our human interactions. So hate the wrong ways that we treat each other. Hate the ways that we're selfish and we don't consider other people. Instead, hold tightly to what is good. Hold tightly to the good ways, to the right attitudes, to the healthy ways of interacting with each other and loving each other. Remember, the previous 11 chapters have laid the groundwork for this. Paul is not telling you to manufacture love or to force love. He's saying that when you understand everything that he's already written, that you and I are all on an equal playing field. Everyone in the world is on an equal playing field before God, all in desperate need of his undeserved kindness and mercy. Then we're free to genuinely love each other. Love is an action word, and Paul goes on to give some very, very real nitty-gritty examples of what it can look like to love each other. So to finish in a minute, I'm going to read 10 verses in Romans chapter 12. But before we do that, I'd love for you to, to think of someone that you know God wants you to love, but, but you find it difficult to love them. You find yourself pretending 
to love sometimes or forcing yourself to love. And some of you aren't sure who that person could be in your life. And others of you have so many names come to mind that you could share them out. So we'd have enough to go around. Someone that you disagree with, someone whose culture or background is different than yours, someone who who rubs you up the wrong way. That's a weird saying in our culture, hey, someone who rubs you up the wrong way. It makes me think about, um, where's where's my bag? makes me think about my my little friend here. You might have seen seen something like my little friend here before. My little friend here is made of, of these beautiful, shiny tabs. And this is the way that my friend the llama likes to be, with the tabs this way, showing, you know, a little bit of pink and a little bit of silver and a little bit of other shades. But sometimes my friend the llama will, will interact with someone who rubs him up the wrong way and just makes all these tabs go different and, and mixed up and messy. So he's not the same, same shade or sparkliness on different sides. And it's not just one direction, like, you know, up, up here on the back of his head, you could rub him down the wrong way as well. And he's like, oh, these people are so... Don't they understand? Like, the way to get along with me is like this. But they just bump into me and I just end up feeling all out of sorts. And, and I'm sure you can think of someone today. Will my friend balance here? You can think of someone today who rubs you up the wrong way and puts all of your little glittery tabs the wrong way and makes you uncomfortable and un- unhappy and annoyed. That's the person that I'd love for you to have in mind. Let's pray. We're going to ask God to speak to us through these 10 verses in a practical way, and then we're going to read them. So God, first of all, I ask that for each person here today, you might just bring someone to mind. Someone who rubs us up the wrong way, makes us feel uncomfortable. Someone that we just struggle to accept and struggle to love. And I also ask that as we read these next 10 verses, that you would just give us one thing, one really nitty-gritty practical thing, practical way, that we can not just pretend, but actually love that person. Amen. The words will be on the screen. This is from verse 9 of Romans 12. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honourable. 
Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Let's bring those people and ourselves to God in prayer one final time, and then we'll sing together. So God, we the sparkly llamas, we bring before you the people in our lives that rub us up the wrong way. And we ask for your inspiration and we ask for your help and we ask for your energy to be able to love them like that. And God, I ask that for each person here today who's praying this prayer, for the other person they have in their minds, that you would just give them a a really practical way, something that they can do to genuinely love that person. And would you help us to do it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.